0: made it
1: we did so nice to be here simon thanks for having me
0: okay well, um, no my absolute pleasure my absolute pleasure um and i think a really uh, opportune time um uh coming up um um you know having you on uh, at the moment um with everything that's happening in the world and yeah just really looking forward to to this conversation um so yeah thank you again thank you again
1: yeah, me too. Thanks, Simon. We always have some good conversations. So this is going to be great.
0: I think so. I think so. Okay. So Simone, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give a little bit of a lead in here um, and give people a little bit of a, an indication um, around who you are. Uh, and then we're going to get into um, uh, a little bit of your story, I think is a, is a nice place to start. Um, uh, you have a, quite a rap sheet, Simone, you BA in psychology. You're an internationally accredited um, hypnotherapist, uh, accredited transformational business and life coach, a philanthropist, CEO, social entrepreneur, and in 2020, were one of the top 50 business leaders in Australia. It's a, it's a pretty impressive lead in uh, my friends. But one of the reasons um, I really wanted to get you onto the podcast and, and especially now is Um, you've recently been featured in, um, the October edition of the woman's weekly, um, telling your heroine story. Um, and I actually have a copy of the article here. Um, and that's, that's really one of the reasons or or one of the things I'd love to kind of kick off with you. Um, yeah, tonight, if we can. Oh, we're getting. Are you the, it's we're getting a little bit of
1: bit of a bad connection bit. there. Yeah,
0: yeah that's us cool. I would yeah.
1: love to discuss article with you, Simon.
0: So let, let's let before we get into that, give me a, give me a little bit of um a background on on, on yourself. What what kind of um, give me a little bit of background on, on you, and, and I guess what what led up to to the article in in the Woman's Weekly this month.
1: Well, I guess it was kind of like from despair to hope. So, I mean, you know, everything sounds great on paper and yeah, I've got a lot of credentials and different things that have happened in my life. My life is definitely, has not been ordinary. Um, You know, for a long time I have struggled with all sorts of things, especially depression. I've just never felt fulfilled there's always been these turning points in my life where I've reached the top of my game and I've never felt that that was enough, so to speak. So there's always been something within me that has just been something that has made me to strive to keep evolving, motivated to keep growing, Um, just an adventurous spirit, you know, to find out, you know, what the truth is in life, what this great mystery is. So I've always been someone who questions everything and i felt like at this point in my life after i'd achieved you know a lot of things that um you know there was something not right that i'd actually been lied to by society that um this consumerist world and and what we're told would bring us happiness actually didn't bring me happiness so that was when the journey really began um you know i've lived with monks in india and studied meditation i've you know i'd heard about You know these different um, religions overseas, and I travelled to meet them and learn more about all these different theologies and disciplines all my life. So I started off in the Himalayas, and so you know Tibetan Buddhism has always been a deep and very um, sacred part of my life. Um, But I was in a yoga class, and a girl told me about these shamans in the Amazon. It was the first time I'd heard anything about them, and that they were finding enlightenment through their sacred brew ayahuasca, which was giving them uh, direct revelation. So I thought to myself, look, well, it's time to go over there and experience something new, something different and find out uh, from these indigenous tribes what the secret was.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Secret to happiness. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Like I, I've just, I, I just finished um, reading, reading the article and, and, um, know it's amazing to get a little bit of insight into you know you know where where you were before kind of heading over there and and kind of going through that um I I think we've spoken about it um, before that dark night of the soul you know going through something quite traumatic and and life-changing and um you know looking for those tools to to help you um you know navigate that that space and kind of come out the other side and I just think it's you know, it's such a, a, an amazingly timed article um, as well because it, it does align to um, you know the the 31st or so the 30th of, of September which is in, in a couple of days from this recording um, where the, where the TGA is looking to um, reschedule you know psilocybin and MDMA um, for uh, psychoactive therapy um, and it's it's just such a again a timely I think um, topic and an interesting topic to kind of dig into uh, with everything that's happening around the world, you know, especially with the increase in um, mental health issues that we're seeing, you know, due to the pandemic. So what I'd love to know a little bit about how how it all came about, like, how did you go from um, going through a situation like that, um, to going into the jungle, and then finding yourself in an article in Australian, Australians woman weekly, Um, You know, can you give me a little bit of insight into how all that unfolded for you?
1: Well, I never thought going to the Amazon that I'd end up in the Women's Weekly. There was no way. So if that's not, I don't know what sort of synchronicity that is or what that's all about, but um, it was certainly the last thing on my mind when I went there. I wasn't in a great place when I went there like as I said you know I've studied for many years religion and there's been all these turning points in my life that have led me down different paths I think we all at some point have an existential crisis or a transformational process where we know we've outgrown our environment and we've been called to something greater and it means the loss or the letting go of everything that we know so that's the dark night of the soul so that's why it's so scary but we go through it, this metamorphosis, knowing that when we come at the other end, that we're the butterfly, that we've grown, that we can fly in a different way, Uh, and we're more authentic, you know, authentic versions of ourselves. So that's why we do it. I mean, it's been for thousands of years, you know, it's been um, documented as a mystical rite of passage, so... I don't wasn't fully aware that that's what I was going through at the time, and that was even scarier for me because you know as a white woman going into these um, areas in South America, it's very dangerous. Um, you know, there's definitely anacondas, there's definitely piranha, there's um, people walking around with machetes, and on top of that, I'm told there's um, all sorts of magic. So it's a it's a pretty scary place. Uh, and it's a it's third world conditions. So um, getting over there was a feat and I was getting over there because I felt a calling. I knew that I had to be there and I don't know whether you've ever felt something like that, but it's very strong. So you just know without a doubt that that's where you're meant to be. Um, so I had to listen with my heart to that calling and I ended up over there experiencing an incredibly life-changing process in that. I met a shaman who took me under his wing and I stayed in a traditional Malacca for 10 days and the tribe fed me, um, you know, very, very simple food for 10 days and, you know, we had an outdoor shower and um, there wasn't, there was a toilet with, uh, that was just a hole in the ground with bats coming out of it. Um, You know, there was mosquitoes everywhere. Like at six o'clock at night, you had to turn off all the lights. Well, the only light I had was a torch because, I think there was 100,000 mosquitoes coming from <laughs> everywhere around South America. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, you'd never knew if you'd wake up to a tarantula on your um, fly wire either. So, um, you know, it's an interesting place to be. You're definitely very present when you're there, but it was there that I learned about the shamanic tradition and I experienced uh, ayahuasca. Uh, and, you know, you're talking about the um, the TGA approving things at the end of the month that was around psilocybin and MDMA. Yeah. Um, ayahuasca is an indigenous uh, plant medicine that the South American people revere. Uh, and it's a bitter tasting liquid that you drink at night uh, with the shaman and he sings songs or a karos as they call them. And you go into a very, very deep psychological process. Uh, And in that space, uh, I experienced things from deep trauma to subconscious programming to conditioning to family lineage stuff to watching the birth of my boys again to um, experiencing divinity in a few hours. So it was profound off the charts. Um, but far from a uh, drug experience, I actually felt at the end of it healed and very different. It wasn't just a trip, so to speak, that there was some sort of intelligence that was guiding me, speaking to me, healing me in those hours.
0: Yeah, it's amazing.
1: Uh, the influence of the ayahuasca, yeah.
0: And so I, what, I yeah. So I was just going to say, so what What kind of, um, you know, I read in the article that um, uh you met someone in a yoga class and, and so what what and, and you kind of speak about it a little bit in in the article that you essentially tried everything under the sun and just that couldn't break through was was it really just a, a matter of you know for you there was kind of no other options or, or what what led you to make that decision finally
1: Yeah, I was resistant to all sorts of therapies. I just didn't feel that medication was working for me. I knew the long-term effects. It didn't make me feel great. I wanted to feel joy. I wanna feel happy and to have clarity and to have, um, you know, energy. and nothing seemed to work and talking it through with uh, psychologists, it was something that was beyond the intellect, what I was going through. Um, And as I said before, I truly believe, you know, I went vegan, I moved to Byron Bay, like I did study yoga, you name it, I did it. And it was all to save myself, you know, because I wasn't feeling great. And if you uh, ever have those kind of feelings, they are, and what a lot of people don't understand Is it's not just uh, negative thoughts, it is a feeling within your bones uh, that is almost like you've been hit by a car or uh, someone close to you has died, and you feel that you know that for somebody else would just last you know a few weeks, months. But for somebody with that level of uh, depression or suicidal ideations, you know, it's like someone's died every day, Um, so it completely. It paralyzes you to the point of um, it's, it's a feeling in your body that you're just so tired and um, it's very difficult to recover and move on and talk about and uh, connect with others and uh, you know so it's difficult when you're in that that place to come out of it so to actually get on a plane and get to the Amazon was a very big deal and um, at the end of the day I was saving my life in that process so
0: yeah, look, it, you know, and I'll, I'll pull some stats here because I've done a little bit of research prior to this. Um, um, and from, you know, which is uh, from, from the group, My um, Medicine Australia, who is actually how we, we um, uh, our, our paths crossed through their, their amazing mm-hmm. work. Um, and they're the ones kind of putting the submissions together to the TGA at the moment. But, you know, from someone yeah. who, you know, myself has struggled with depression, anxiety, you know, substance abuse, things like that. Over the years, and, and just the pressures of you know being a, an entrepreneur, and um and and you know, right, so I started you know having a, a closer look at, at some of the, you know the the remission rates really around things like PTSD and um and um uh, and you know chronic depression or depression. It's you know currently at the moment you know the remission rates for PTSD are, are between five and ten percent you know, across the community, across the world, which is extremely low. And I think only 50% um, are actually responding to, you know, people that have PTSD are, are responding to, mm-hmm. um, you know, treatments of any any kind. And, and PTSD mm-hmm. is is post-traumatic stress disorder, which is usually quite, quite heavy trauma. But even with, um, you know, even with the depression, you know, and chronic depression, I think it's only 30 to 35% at the moment of sufferers are estimated to, to experience Remission, um, you know that's a, a pretty low rate of success for conventional medicine and conventional therapies at the moment. Um, so it's it. It's
1: really sad, Simon, when you think like that level of suffering across our nation.
0: Yeah, really, and, and apparently the world, even. yeah, and apparently it's, it's escalating at the moment with the pandemic. I think it, it's something like, I could be like this could be wrong, but it, it's something like across twenty twenty. We've seen an increase of two hundred percent of the utilization of, of current um, psychopharmacology. You know, um, things like antidepressants and and what have mm-hmm. you. Um, you know, due to due to the pandemic itself. Um, so this this problem isn't yes. getting any better, and the tools that we're using aren't really solving the problem. So it's so it's a, it's a it's amazing that this is getting coverage. You know, in places like you know the Woman's Weekly of, of all places. Um, yeah. But I'm keen to understand how how that kind of came about with My Medicine and how did you get involved with them?
1: Yeah, I definitely applaud uh, the Women's Weekly, uh, such a mainstream uh, magazine with a particular um, reading base. Um, You know, it probably was a big gamble for them to come out with something like this. Uh, But, you know, even when I was being interviewed by the journalist, she was really fascinated and well aware of the statistics that you just presented. So uh, I think that um, people are becoming more and more aware that this is a major issue and it's affecting our friends, it's affecting our immediate family. So it's something that touches every one of us, you know, in some way. So there is more conversation around alternative therapies because of that, because people are just absolutely desperate. Mm So, you know, it's a very, very um, sad that um, it's something that hasn't been discussed for many, many years for many different reasons. Uh, But now it seems that we're in a crisis or perhaps it's just that moment in time where people are ready for something like this to come through into mainstream to help people. Of course, when it does come through, it will be highly regulated. It will be under uh, psychologists. So these are medicines are taken uh, under therapeutic conditions, which is really important to say because, you know, uh, there'll be a uh, psychotherapist there and a psychologist there to to take you into therapy as you're taking these medicines. So um, they're not party drugs like they have been perceived to be. They can be very, very deep uh, healing uh, medicines for people that have these conditions. So um, I have been uh, involved with my medicine for a long time. Time. Um because that experience in Amazon, it sort of came to my attention that there were people out there pushing it, and I knew how beautiful this was, how it had changed my life. Um, I was sort of in a prominent situation working at World Vision. So it's like, oh, this CEO is um dabbling in psychedelics. You know, that's not your normal sort of hippie, even though I am from Byron Bay. <laughs> um, so I think I were a little bit intrigued intrigued that, oh, this particular person was involved with this. This is not really the stereotype. So um, they are definitely interested in my story and what had happened. So I'm just, you know, um, a lived experience of these things. I'm not a scientist or, you know, a psychologist, but, um, yeah. Uh, so they just saw it as um, something that they are willing to explore. There was a couple of other people there in the article that are quite fascinating as well with PTSD and different problems. So it was nice across the board to get a really thorough and good understanding of what the potential is. And how well, can-
0: I thought it was a great article, um, uh, you know, and I thought it, it gave a good, um, uh, a good mix of kind of opinions as well. You know, there can be definitely like a bit of a love fest around, um, you know, new age therapies and, and things like that. And, you know, having, um, I think it was the, I have, I have it here somewhere. The, um, you know, the Royal Australian and New Zealand college of, of psychiatrists, you know, um, they, they noted that they're, they're kind of, you know, urging everyone not to get too ahead of themselves because they the lack of longitudinal um, clinical studies. Um, so like there was a, there's a good kind of balanced, I found the article quite good that it, it tapped into a bit of that, the balance within it. I know across psychology, there's a lot more um, probably interest in, in exploring the therapies, but psychiatry um, for, for whatever reasons is, is probably a little bit slower to adopt some of these new um, call them, you know, technologies, if you will, or medicines, if yeah. you will. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, generally speaking, I thought it was a, a, a great article to kind of highlight you know the, the pros and some of the potential um, cons for it. You know, I think there's been seemingly though, you know, well, you know, I guess when you look at, the data that is out there around the trials they were kind of talking about that the biases potentially in the trials um, um, but you know there is quite a bit of data to show um, the positives behind you know medicines like this um, and i think also you have to kind of take into account you know similar to what we're going through with the pandemic and vaccines is you know when we have a scenario where so many people are affected by it um, there kind of is no time to waste in a lot of respects. So it, it will be interesting to see what the TGA does, especially in Australia when, when I think, you know, f- for me anyway, it feels like we're quite a conservative country as far as these type of, um, mm-hmm. you know, more experimental uh, medicines or, or, or techniques are concerned. I don't know if you've got kind of thoughts on that at all or, or what you think might, might unfold over the next coming months.
1: Yeah, look, fingers crossed that there's some level of acknowledgement uh, that something starts to shift the perceptions of our politicians. Uh, There's enough research there to justify some serious thinking around these medicines. I think, you know, uh, the community is just at a loss as to how to help people. And when you're in the front line of mental health, uh, it's a disaster in Australia, especially at the moment. So when there are things there that are so simple, so easy, so cheap, and effective, it just seems such a terrible shame. Um, But you know, we're always going to be there. There's a a lot of us out there that are really pushing um, to see some change, and that are really advocating for this to happen in Australia and other countries. I know it is happening. Wellness centres are going to be the next multi-billion-dollar industry, and a lot of it will be to do around psychedelics. so that's exciting too. I think, you know, even with Nine Strangers, with Nicole Kidman uh, coming into mainstream media, like everyone loves it, you know, how she's doing the protocol with the microdosing. I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but um, it's a wellness centre with a fit. Yep. Uh So it's it's interesting how slowly, slowly these things that were so hidden, so sacred, uh, that are just centuries years of years old just stayed... Um, quiet and 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 you know away from our ways of thinking and healing for so long uh, Mm. in western cultures
0: yeah I did see an article on that today I haven't I didn't read it and I haven't seen haven't seen that program yet as much as I do love Nicole Kidman Um, um, but there was talking about there was some potential misrepresentations with the way they were talking about the psychedelics within, within the show, but I haven't seen it yet. So I definitely have to have to have a little bit of a okay. walk into it and I haven't read the article, so I really shouldn't be kind of commenting on it um, regardless of that. So yeah, no, no, look, I know, you know, the, it, it will be interesting, you know, the, the report 30th, 30th of September, um, TGA, it's on the website. That's the public release of the report that they'll make a decision some point after that. Um, they did already, um, Provisionally or temporarily, um, um, you know, not approve the um, the rescheduling, um, and and yet they have invested the Australian government that is fifteen million dollars into a research facility, I believe, actually in northern Melbourne. If I'm if I'm correct on that, so so you wonder whether that's that will, yeah, you know, you wonder whether that will be, you know. it's kind of the tip of the hat to say we'll do it but we're not going to do it yet and you would imagine then that's Mm. another three year five year cycle before we actually see this stuff um, you know yes you know come into the community which is which is disappointing because it's similar and then you look at the regulations and things anyway that happened around um, medicinal cannabis and really how hard it is for people Mm. to access those those, th- those types of medicines anyway and how expensive they are. So it's, I think we're gonna have a lot of work. I don't think this is the time as much as I'm, I'm optimistic and fingers are crossed. I, I, I can't see, I can't see it moving through just the way the system is set up and the health system is set up. Um, and then even if they do, the way it kind of does get um, restricted as far as the ability to access it, but, but hopefully I'm wrong. That's, that's my maybe pessimistic, pessimistic um, view on kind of you know, the, the, the landscape here in Australia.
1: Yeah, well, it kind of pushes these uh, therapies underground and it forces people to travel internationally to get the help they need, which is what I did. But um, the beautiful thing about these medicines are, you know, a lot of them, like the ayahuasca are given in ceremony So they're in ceremony with the shaman. So it'd be interesting to see how they could make that into a therapy. That's something that I haven't seen. I know they've invested a lot into psilocybin MDMA and they seem to have got that right in in terms of the psychotherapeutic process out of ceremony because there were curanderas in Mexico doing psilocybin ceremonies. Maria Sabina was one back in the sixties that the Beatles even went to visit. So she was a, a folk healer and um so she was um trained in the medicines and she knew how to uh give the medicines and give healings during those ceremonies so it's a very different um context and a different cultural context bringing these medicines into western societies so there's a little bit of a interesting alignment with all of that as well
0: and a little bit of a um yeah, alignment's an interesting word. There is, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out that from my um, involvement in, um, you, know, um, um, you know, within mind medicine and also just within general health. Um, it will be interesting to see how that transcends across um, and, and, you know, whether, whether that's ceremonial elements or how that, how that does um, transition into a therapeutic kind of environment. Um, but you know seemingly I was watching um, the film Fantastic Fungi the other day I think for the third time Um, and you know that yeah I know it's just one of those things for me now funnily enough but um, and and you know that they the the way they were um, you know describing the the therapeutic sessions you know seem to have you know phenomenal impacts and I think from my understanding of those medicines that you know they can be utilised in different environments, in different ways. And they tend to, you know, bring that healing in, um, you know, we are just scratching the surface in Western, uh, the surface in Western medicine anyway, around, you know, what they are and what, what we're tapping into. And, and there's a, a definitely a, a reservation or apprehension towards it, but it will be interesting to see how that does, you know, make its way into kind of clinical medicine um, over, the, over the coming yeah. years.
1: Yeah, and I think with Western medicine, they're referred to as drugs uh, that heal a problem. Uh, But with these uh, medicines that we're talking about, they're perceived culturally as extremely sacred. So they were seen as not only healing, but as tools to reach enlightenment or really deep spiritual states. So That's another thing that needs to be considered. And a lot of people who uh, even take uh, these medicines in therapy have very heightened, uh, expanded consciousness experiences and they have uh, spiritual uh, awakenings under these medicines. Uh, So it's not just something that comes and heals depression, so to speak, because in these cultures, depression is referred to not as a problem, but as a rite of passage. So you're experiencing depression and that suffering for a reason because you need to change and start to look towards something greater. So here we go back to the beginning of the conversation with the dark night of the soul and that necessary initiation, so to speak. So mental uh, health is uh, perceived in a very different way with these cultures. It's actually perceived as a good thing, that that's an awakening. So you're suffering is actually the calling into something greater, into your alignment with your truth, into alignment with something that feels better. So that depression moves us or changes us or transforms us into something else, which is why we feel it. So even being in those cultures, to look at my mental health in that paradigm helped to shift and transform where I was at as well. There was an acceptance around what had happened
0: yeah I love that yeah. I, w- I love you know and I've, in my my own personal journeys you know I can definitely relate to that to that dark times usually have a silver lining and, and have a lesson and, and have a positive um, you know element to them you know that that it is even I find in business and entrepreneurship it's it is the challenge of building something the challenge of that struggle that you do find you know the, the, the goodness so to speak and when you then apply that to mental health that it is an amazing way to shift the perception of mental health, because especially in the West, we have such a negative connotation or negative perception of mental health issues, Mm. Um, you know, especially Mm. for for men, um, but for everybody really, you know, we we really look at it as a, as a weakness, um, not an opportunity to find strength or or to grow. Uh, Yeah. I love that.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that was one of the reasons that I came out uh, in the Women's Weekly was to start to destigmatize some of those stereotypes around mental health. It's very damaging. It stops us being vulnerable. It makes us feel alone. And, you know, the truth is that I could be out with 10 girlfriends over lunch and we have a few wines and everyone's going to start talking about the fact that they're not feeling great in their marriage or something's going on at work. And then it all comes out that you know there's rumblings of some sort of depression that something isn't quite right. So it's it's really nice to open up the space for people to feel it's okay to speak about uh, things when when things aren't right, because um, you know to me that it's just not possible to be happy all the time. That this is. Uh, part of our life that we feel the ups and downs and for some of us uh, those downs can be a lot lower than others and that's a problem so and for some it's just the external environmental circumstances like COVID that's triggered them but for others there's deep deep trauma so it's a real process unfolding and unraveling and understanding trauma and depression Uh, it's quite complex.
0: Yeah, that, that it really is. And I, I know, um, you know, as I navigated some really challenging times over the last 18 months with my own mental health, um, mine was isolation, you know, being being under a lot of pressure with my business and transitioning, um, you know, into middle age and, and a few of the things that come along with that um, and just, you know, the extreme amounts of isolation and, and you know, being able to see those as opportunities to sit with the pain and learn from it and, and not be afraid or not to, um, to run away from it, so to speak, and, and to, to feel, um, the lessons underneath it were, were really quite, um, you know, it, was, it it oddly became quite a transformative period in my life because I, I, I stopped running away from it and I just had to to deal with it. And I think, you're right if you can shift the way that we look at these problems there's more opportunities like like we do with business or any challenge like that there is such healing that that you can find in it but as you were saying I heard someone talk about it today um, uh, a, a coach that I follow on um, on Instagram um, Stephanos he was saying you know big T or little T is in big trauma or little trauma you know everyone has a different story and for some people, they can see that lesson or that light in that darkness, but for a lot of people, they they aren't able to shift it. They aren't able to access that that part of themselves that can you know pick themselves back up. And I think um, these types of therapies or medicines, you know, have a lot of potential to help you know people in that that you know on that end of the spectrum, you know, as well as others.
1: Yeah, they really do, and I think also um, you know there's other Things like staying connected with other people and empathy. You know, they've got these new clinics that they're trialing where people with lived experiences are there to welcome you with open arms if you're feeling really low. Um, And they just connect with you, they hold your hand, they give you a cup of tea, and they show you empathy. So these stories that we're sharing give others hope. And, you know, it's actually okay to feel this way. yeah, I think it's powerful when you're when you're in that space of being able to share because you really don't know uh, if you're saving a life or helping someone in that moment.
0: It, look, again, I remember in the darkest times of the isolation and lockdown last year, um, where I where, where, where at the time, I don't know if it was a it was a good decision. Not it ended up being a good decision, but. Um, where I was kind of didn't, because of the lack of connection and lack of community. And I I was losing all of the tools that I had to build up my mental health under the extreme stress that I was under. Um, So I I posted on social media, I I posted that I wasn't doing well on social media. And the Mm. one, the the response that I, I got from the community, the response that I got from other people that shared experience, and other people then felt comfortable to share their stories with me, also online. Um, I spoke about how I reached out to Beyond Blue and had other people reaching out, kind of saying, "You know, thank you. Like you sharing that story made it okay." Especially men, like other guys that you know I know probably wouldn't do that. Were, "Hey, Simon, how did you go? Like when you spoke to them, what was it like?" And there was a real, you know, um, call from people, you know, and I think that that community element, um, and that was one of the hard things about. And is still, especially in, in Victoria, the hard things about not being able to socialize at the moment and connect with people and um, is that lack of, of, of communitas, of community, you know, um, and just how transformative and, and healing and powerful mm-hmm. that human connection really is. And I just, yeah, I was blown away by um, maybe a little bit of an overshare at the time, but that, that vulnerability really turned into deep connection with people. And it was just a beautiful experience
1: so so powerful and I think yeah thanks for sharing that Simon because that's actually how we met when you reached out to me on LinkedIn after I shared my story so yeah yeah, beautiful connections are made (laughs) and uh yeah there's so much beauty in that vulnerability I think that you know the medicines may be far away for some people or something that uh is not going to happen overnight but connection and empathy and just you know caring for others and being vulnerable in this space is really good medicine
0: mm. and
1: really easy
0: yeah it definitely helped me I was definitely reaching at the time and, and reaching out to people and read your story and went how do I you know where where how what how did this happen for you and it was really something that I was quite interested in because I was you know at the time i was seen a psychologist and you know, they asked at the time, you know, how did, how you find in the sessions? I'm like, good, but 50 minutes, like I need 10 hours, like let's do this thing. Um, but the cost and the time and, and those things were really, I was really struggling to, to get, you know, um, get the, 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 the medicine that I needed. And I didn't want to use, um, um, I didn't want to use antidepressants and those kind of things because I, I had tried them, you know, I tried them in a, it just didn't didn't work for me. I didn't like the numbness of it all. It kind of turned the guide off, so to speak. But yeah, I, yeah, I think it's yeah. a, a really good point that that connection and that community is really a good step, you know, for people. So, what I'd like to do quickly, if you don't mind, is give a little bit of insight around these two things that that the TGA is looking to to reschedule, um, which is um, MDMA and psilocybin. Um, and because I, I pulled some stats. From um, from the great work that mind medicine are doing, and and I wanted, and I just thought it'd be cool, just quickly to give you know how they're explaining anyway how these things are going to be used in that therapeutic setting. So MDMA, which people may know as um, as, as ecstasy, um, and a bunch of other different names, um, which was a, a party drug, is um, and I may I may not get this exactly correct, but I thought I'd attempt to say the the, the correct the correct word for it. Um, uh, uh, methamphetamine so MDMA. So MDMA, is kind of, that we were saying before is being used in PTSD. I think I did pretty well there, funnily enough. Um, is being used in P- with PTSD. So the MDMA, they're saying can amplify emotional responses and facilitate feelings of trust between individuals. When used in psychotherapy, MDMA can help individuals feel more com- um, comfortable with their therapist. Are more likely to engage in their emotions and the therapeutic process, and you would have seen that the film *Trips of Trip of Compassion*, um, where where they they're looking at. Um, I, ha- I
1: haven't actually seen it yet.
0: You haven't seen it? Amazing. So the the studies are Israeli soldiers yeah. and um, people that had been through like um, first responders and and um, them dealing with. You know, you can think about the trauma that's happening at the moment for people dealing with with um, uh, the pandemic, the frontline workers and the trauma that they're having to deal with, like the, the, the it was just the film was absolutely amazing the way it, it, it showed, um, yeah, showed the utilization of MDMA in those kind of settings. But so the MDMA, the, the, the results that are coming out of these trials and, and granted in the article, they were talking about some of the, the biases potentially within it. So people should check that side of it out. But they're saying that like of the 105 um, participants, that that were in uh, in in the um, in the trials. Now we're saying before within PTSD, you know, we're only at a five to ten percent remission rate. They they're saying that um, up to fifty four percent of people, uh, participants in the MDMA group, no longer met the diagnosis uh, criteria for PTSD. So that's like that's remission, and I think that goes up to sixty eight percent of people twelve months later. Um, they are mm. incredibly positive. Um, statistics around this kind of stuff. Um, so mm. just so much opportunity um, to to potentially look at those kind of things. So that's the MDMA side of things.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, you know after all my travels and everything that happened in my experience, with my learnings from the shamanic tradition and uh, from the ayahuasca experience was similar to the MDMA in that. What I learned was that love is a secret to happiness. Connection is a secret to happiness. So everything that the MDMA is simulating is the experience that the ayahuasca was teaching me to embody. Mm. So you can imagine that when I got back, I was no longer had my head down as I was walking past people in the streets I was looking at them, I was smiling and saying hello. And can you imagine how you can change your reality in just that simple step of looking up and saying hello to people?
0: Uh, How that changes
1: the perception of the world. Mm. Yeah, so it was a simple thing, you know, and I had in my mind ingrained to reach out, to be more empathetic, to care more about people. Um, So it was beyond just about me at that point. You know, the ayahuasca was teaching me how to heal and love others, and I think that's what's been shared with the MDMA. It opens the heart and simulates um, the reality that these medicines are trying to teach us or position us in behaviours and ways of being that promote those feelings.
0: Mm, I love that. It must have a, a butterfly effect, you know. It must, it must compound when you start smiling at people and, and, and putting that positivity into the world, right? Like it must... You know, just start to compound from there and, and and build out as well. I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, behave yourself into uh, wellness, because we're we're changing our reality in every moment. You know, so it's like if you smile at a stranger, you're changing their reality, so they're going to smile at you, and you're going to feel good. They're going to feel good. So it's beautiful in that moment.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All so right, pa-
1: very powerful.
0: Very powerful. Yeah, amazing. And so psilocybin quickly, um, uh, the magic mushrooms, as people like to call them. Um, So psilocybin is an interesting one and seems to be, you know, um, uh, you know, some pretty deep, deep stuff that it's looking to do. And I I really do like to get into my um, um, uh, anything to do with kind of, you know, the the neural connections in the brain and and what have you. Um, So psilocybin, they're saying, you know, breaks down existing neural connections in the brain, which can disrupt patterns of negative thinking, and allow individuals to adopt new perspectives with the aid of psilocybin. A trained therapist can guide an individual through the thought processes, uh, need, or the thought processes needed to develop new positive neural connections. Um, so again, it's like re- a bit of a reset on the brain, a reset of of breaking down that negative thinking pattern. And and again, you know, I, I can I, I can respond to that, you know, in the sense of relate to that. In the sense that when you are trapped in that you know negative cycle and that depression, you just constantly thinking about, you know, that that pattern of thought, and you just kind of want to break from it as well. Um, But they're saying that the the effects of this, so we're saying before that, you know, sufferers with depression at the moment is 30 to 35% of sufferers are estimated to experience um, remission. So that's current current approaches, Uh, 50 to 80% of of patients um, relapse after treatment stops. So that's kind of same with depression. You know, most people, I think, you know, when you're looking at some of the psychopharmacology out there now with antidepressants, it's a nearly a lifelong thing. There doesn't seem to be a lot of, you know, remission rates for people on these, um, on these uh, 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 medicines, which seems like a pretty good business model to me quietly, but. Um, They're saying that psilocybin (laughs) psilocybin has shown to be, you know, effective in treating end of life, oh, sorry. I know psilocybin assisted therapy can lead to remission rates um, of 60 to 80% of cases uh, of anxiety and depression. And that was in a study um, with Griffiths in 2016. And psilocybin has been shown to be effective in treating end of life anxiety with long lasting results of 60 to 80% of patients um, still showed clinically significant improvements you know, up to four years after. So the the huge statistics of he, potential healing, um, and I think even with psilocybin, there's there's studies now around dementia, which is a massive issue. I work in aged care, and you know, Alzheimer's and dementia mm. are, are huge. They're finding it in children now, um, uh, which is new studies that are starting to come out. Um, so I just, just again, that you know, the the need to really go heavy on this stuff and start pushing the research, um, you know, is, it seems to be a bit of a, a um, no pun intended, but no-brainer, you know, really, you know, pushing these medicines mm. forward.
1: Yeah, I mean, even when you say that it changes neurological pathways, I mean, that is profound.
0: Yeah, worth investigating. It's
1: honestly profound. Mm,
0: mm. Cause I guess that's what it is right it's people stuck in these patterns of thought these patterns of behavior I know with with my you know negative negative thinking and we all have that you know that, that critical critical part of our minds you know that the um you know that that kind of re- rational part of the brain that the prefrontal cortex that's making those decisions and trying to save us from being eaten by the line or hit by the car when we cross the road but you know that that kind of ego mind I think they call it, you know in, in the shamanic terms like an ego death that you're going through um to be able to see things in that kind of new perspective that that new new position can can obviously be you know great opportunities to get that kind of reprieve that moment to reset reset yourself um how 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 does that then work I, i read a lot about um um the idea of integration and and then after that reset kind of occurs how, how have you in your experiences kind of approached that and, and what's your kind of understanding of the, the preparation and integration process?
1: When the, uh, you're talking about psilocybin, changing neural pathways and, and the way we think, it's very much with the ayahuasca also that the ayahuasca creates pathways for you to see that you have choice so it'll show you in the medicine, when you're when you've drunk the brew, that you've made this choice, it's led to this suffering, you could make this choice, this choice, there's many, many possibilities. So that's the way it plays out. So you see all the possibilities to open up your life, to change your life, to transform your life, and then you choose what that possibility is, and then it's up to you to implement that in your integration. So we say that if you don't follow what's been taught or shown in the medicine, that your life often will go pear-shaped. But if you do follow what's been shown or you've agreed to, so to speak, within that ceremony or that medicine, then you are honoring the work, which means you're honoring yourself. And things seem to change and transform. The synchronicities come back. You seem to be the captain of your ship. There seems to be okay, I have choice. You've got your power back in that moment. I have a choice here, which is a really beautiful feeling. And the other thing that the medicines show you are that you have this voice within and they also teach you how to listen. So the medicine people are really interesting. I mean, they don't busily go through life like you know a lot of us do. They're always watching the birds or watching the butterflies or listening to this or if a song comes on there's something meaningful in that song for them or if someone says something then there's something in that for them so they're always responding to the external they're very very in tune with the external especially nature Hmm. so they're constantly in harmony and in connection with everything around them which is you can imagine living in uh, the Amazon is important because if a jaguar comes up behind you, you would want to be present and, and, and know what that noise was. But you can take that to another level. They seem to be connected with everything. And so that's another thing that the medicine does. It really does sort of sharpen perception, uh, makes you feel more present, and it actually teaches you different ways of behaving and different ways of thinking and different ways of seeing So, you know, it's really hard to explain fully um, the sacredness and and just how profound these experiences are, to be honest. It's something that is completely beyond words uh, and it's very hard to appreciate. But, um, you know, all I can say is that integration is as big uh, and as important as the actual ceremony and the taking of these medicines because you have to act and you have to implement and you have to listen and, um, or otherwise nothing changes and you're back to square one.
0: Yeah, I have heard of people that um, nearly become a, a, they're not addictive. The substance itself isn't addictive like nicotine or or something along those lines, but the experience can be, and and that they they don't do the work um, and they end up going back to the ceremony or the medicine again and again and again, but not going through the integration process. Um, So yeah, that's a really good insight. It's a really cool insight. And and it's interesting how you talk about that connection with nature. I come from a, I'm a country boy at heart and I come from a family of um, uh, adventurers is probably a good way of putting it, you know, mountain, mountain people. And, um, and, you know, recently, you know, going through this situation um, of isolation, I got an opportunity to get back out into nature, which is something I've really been lacking. Um, and that connection with that, the expansiveness of you know a sunset over the ocean or uh, climbing a mountain and staring out into the valleys or you know it it does um you tune you back to yeah a new perspective of things it gives you an opportunity to step out of you know that cycle of thinking you know especially living you know in the in the city like I do the the pressures of the business the pressures of You know that well here unfortunately in victoria the police presence and the police helicopters flying over your head um, 24 hours a day it's it's kind of like a psychic nightmare here at the moment so those opportunities to go and reconnect with nature and things do give you you know um uh, that insight you know do give you that opportunity to really see things from a new perspective and i I noticed for myself coming back into the city um, after being able to get out into nature again um, a little while back that It completely shifted the way I was um, one looking at the world, but also investing in it or engaging in it, you know, like I was getting quite frustrated and wanting to change things and trying to affect things that I couldn't control um, as opposed to just kind of surrendering to, to what, what is and, and, you know, enabling myself the the peace of mind to kind of navigate my world again. So um, any, anything that can help do that quickly and effectively, um, potentially without having to go and climb in a mountain might might be a positive thing.
1: Sorry, just broke up, Simon. What was the question?
0: Oh, no, look, um, I, 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 it was more of a statement, really, or a comment. I was just saying that, you know, anything that, that can give you that kind of access or reconnection to nature, um, especially for people in the city, you know, like myself yeah. who struggle to get out into nature has to, has to be a positive thing for people to to at least look into, you know? Am I losing you a little bit there? Simone, can you hear me?
1: Are you there, Simon?
0: Yeah, can you hear me now?
1: Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I, I think, like, you've, you've touched on something else that's really important around um, nature, which is really important to the uh, Amazon uh, tradition and the, um, the many traditions that these medicines, you know, come from. Uh, and even without the medicines, they're really great tools for people that are listening uh, to understand that, you know, too much technology, too much busyness... Uh, it's really not great for the soul. Um, So, you know, when I am in the Amazon or when I am in the country, I feel like a different person. It's almost like everything's switched off. We're coming back to that presence. We're coming back into uh, the loveliness of of who we are without all the distractions and the, uh, you know, technologies that distract us and take us away from uh, being home and embodying our body and our feelings and, um all the soft spots that, um, impact our life in so many ways when we're, we're busy and, uh, we, we, we forget, you know, that, uh, we contain all the wisdom and infinite knowledge and healing within ourselves. We become very far from who we are. And that's how I ended up in the Amazon, uh, that I wasn't connected to myself. Uh, so I think that the medicines are important. The medicines teach us about the other stuff we've been talking about, presence and empathy, caring for others and nature, all those beautiful things. And also giving thanks is another one that I've learned in the Amazon, giving thanks is really important in appreciating the preciousness of life. Um, It just tends to make everything sacred, the fact that we don't know how long we're here for. So we should be appreciating every moment. And that's something that we, uh, don't really acknowledge in our culture like they do. So they, they pray for uh, all sorts of things as well. That's another thing. They're praying and offering thanks to everything that's been given and they're praying for their future and praying for their children and they have dreams, you know, about their future. And uh, that's something too that I think we've, uh, that we've, well, I had lost. I had lost my dreams and wasn't sure how to feel into or create them. And that was something else that these indigenous tribes taught me, and the medicine teaches that too. The medicine uh, is very keen to give you a vision for life, a, a new and sacred vision for your life. Uh, so you find many, many gifts within yourself under the medicine that you can then take out into the world to to help others from that divine space.
0: Yeah, so so powerful. You know, I, you know, I found that's really interesting. You know that. that and it, it, when I think about kind of the entrepreneurial stuff I do, you know, I have a gratitude practice that I that I use, not, not every day, but when I, when I do my task list in the morning, there's one about gratitude and, um, and also setting goals, you know, and, and being able to start to activate yourself into a place where you're, you're working towards something and you've got a vision for yourself and a, a, a purpose, you know, if you will um, maybe sometimes more so than the passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how, how those, um, Things have enabled you know me to be able to transform and build a successful business in, in a lot of respects and and you know move on to that path. So you know again having these kind of tools you know that that you we're able to access to, that connects you to these um, these these again tools you know these things that you can put in the backpack to to help us um, navigate you know the world because I think even as I was growing up as a a younger guy you know not having that understanding of why we're here what it's all about uh, maybe a lack of um uh, maybe a lack of rites of passage or or, or faith or maybe a lack, lack of you know religion in my family or whatever it might be but not having that vision for the future and where things were going and you know a kind of a real disconnection from from that that purpose or self so i think there's um yeah some amazing things that you can, yeah. can kind of dig into in that space
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, that these medicines are coming from Indigenous ancient traditions that are, you know, shrouded in ceremony and rites of passage. There's a really deep understanding of life and the initiations of life coming into manhood or womanhood, uh, initiations into change, initiations into grief. And so we're not immersed in those pivotal points in our lives as we grow in Western culture. There's no tradition as such around those things, uh, which I think is probably adding to the mental health crisis um, because, you know, as I said, there's lots of prayer, there's lots of vision that's a part of their culture. It's not something that's within our culture. Mm. Uh, So all those beautiful tools that we've been talking about are just um, learnt uh, not by our elders and not by our community that are dedicated to teach our kin those things in Indigenous cultures. It's just a, a random um, you'll be right, mate, approach to life. It's not taught in schools and uh, we seek it out, you know, which is what I've had to do. I've sought out that knowledge. I've sought out that wisdom um, to try and transcend, you know, some of this stuff and to rise into, um, you know, a greater sense of wellbeing. being
0: Yeah, look, again, like I work in aged care and it's, it's horrible. It's, it's horrible the way we, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's whole, there's whole podcast on these subjects, but, you know, it's horrible the way that we do, um, one process palliative care or, or don't process palliative care or understand it or support it well we have a real cultural issue with death and and a lack of understanding of that phase even though there's some amazing work in it um, we have an under funded and um and uh over-regulated, um and under resourced healthcare sector where we really just send people to these aged care facilities to die, you know, not taken away from the amazing work the facilities themselves do, but, you know, as a culture, as a, a government, you know, just how lacking that, and yeah, just how lacking that system is in the way that it's kind of set up, um, uh, we really do, we really yeah. do struggle with that in the West. And, and, and it, it is really a cultural thing that we tend to lack. That, that um, empathy and compassion for our elders and and you know those therefore those rites of passage for our youth and there's a real disconnect you know maybe that's that materialistic world that we live in in the West. Did I lose you there again? Yeah. I was just rambling on I was rambling on about about um Western culture and the aged care sector and and our disconnection with with our elders uh simone that's that's where I was riffing out so um hey mate listen
1: uh, no, I get it I think you've, you've brought up a really um a good point you know that's another aspect that just highlights so deeply how removed we are from our reality as human beings how death is not a part of life you know And was one of the things that i experienced going into the amazon was the small deaths leading into that experience the death of my relationship that sparked the whole thing off the death of losing my business the death of losing the family as i knew it it was those small deaths that um, were seemingly so destructive that were actually rebirths into something completely different, which is where I needed to be. Um, but, you know, on another another side of things, exactly what, what you're saying, I think around our mental health, we've lost that culture, we've lost the rites of passage, we've lost our connection to... Um, the humanness of who we are you know let's just throw our loved ones into nursing homes you know palliative care It's some um, it's very different to these other cultures indigenous cultures
0: and even the way that's kind of playing out and it's com it's a complex conversation that i'm not qualified to have but how that seems to be playing out you know in our response to health and 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 the pandemic in a, in a oh. lot of respects you know it's very much oh, like modern good. medicine it's it's a it's a, an elimination strategy, you know, it's a, we'll cut it out and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll try and get rid of the problem, not not yes. um, solve the underlying issues behind it. That, you know, the reason why so many people are getting affected by this thing. And um, no. yeah, it's like a disconnect, right? It's a disconnect with what we are. But disconnect.
1: But the thing that really came up for me around that is coming back to your, what you were saying previously was this incredible fear of death. Mm like this incredible fear of death that was just driving this global vaccine and driving this panic. And, you know, like it was just crazy. Just people were just so obsessed with dying.
0: Yeah. I think, look, for me, it's, um, uh, it, you know, it, it felt and not necessarily that it was intended to be this way, but it, it felt like it's weaponized to minimize the impact on an inefficient in and, um, A health system, you know, in a lot of respects, and and a health system that wasn't set up to deal with with something like this, you know, and it's complex. You combine that with, you know, our bad habits in the West of drinking and smoking and eating bad food and all of these things that, you know, generally um, allowed and taxed and you know, let let to run rife in in the community. And then when something like this comes along, the pressure it puts onto the health system that's not ready to deal with it. yeah, and you know, you can go down a bunch of different mm. rabbit holes in that space, but it, it really did, you know, push. Sure can. Yeah, you sure can. Um, and yeah. I try not to, right? Like you try and be balanced like there's, it's But yeah, I think I think it's a real opportunity, like just to kind of anchor again back on this article, the amazing work um, uh, that Tanya and Peter are, are, are doing, you know, with Mind Medicine Australia um, and, and hopefully our good friends at the TGA, um, you know, do, do take a serious look at this and, and um, you know, at, at least open that opportunity for people to access, you know, medicine because I can't see the downstream effects of this pandemic being anything other than horrific in the mental health sense, you know, for the community mm-hmm. for years to come. And, you know, it feels like the time is now to, you know, Take a little bit of risk, like where we can obviously move vaccines to market very yeah. quickly when we need to. Um, uh, yeah. Let's get mental health up there, right? Let's get, let's put mental health on the map as as a, a pan, the, the the shadow pandemic, as they're calling it, you know. And I feel like it's definitely something that's that's worthy of more conversation. So um, yeah, this has been really insightful. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I really do think that we're heading into a new way of being, Simon. I think that this is all being an awakening, so to speak. Uh, It's definitely been something that has gotten people thinking about the business of their lives, whether they want to work at work or work at home or spend more time with family or when everything's ripped away that they are actually depressed or they are actually having an existential crisis that was covered by this capitalist dream that was in front of them. Yeah, so, Hi, Simon. <laughs> well, you know, that's a beautiful moment in life because there's the awakening right there. So, I mean, as soon as we are attached to something that we think is going to bring us happiness uh, or we're distracted by something, you know, we're not actually connected with ourselves. So uh, we come back to what really makes us happy and what's really important. And I think that's what this pandemic is doing. And, look, I do feel that um, some of these medicines are the lesser evil compared to what could happen, um, that it is worthwhile them considering. It is great, the Women's Weekly and these other um, media outlets are now opening the conversation to the possibilities. And that's, that's really all we can do is just share our experience and give people hope and just pray that um, they see things differently and this, this goes ahead in a few days' time.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um- and probably a great place to, to finish up. But I, I did want to um, give you the opportunity as well, uh, Simone. What, what now for you and, and, and where, where are you in the, in the world and, and how are you bringing um, these insights and this medicine um, um, to the community, especially in Australia? Did I lose you again? I'm not going to cut yeah. any. Of, I'm not going to cut any of these drops out either. This is this is just the world that we live in now, which is which is podcasting via via um, uh, via Zoom Zoom calls. But essentially, I was just saying, um, Simone, how can people find you? What what are you up to now? Um, uh, um, and you know, how's the response oh. been from the article? And and where can people find you?
1: Yeah, well, I um, I'm just on LinkedIn and I'm you know developing a website now. I've just I've, I'm I had a corporate. I'm done, uh, so no more CEO positions, um, no more living in big cities. Um, uh, I am basically living in the country at the moment, between the country and Byron Bay, and I've. know i've expanded on my psych degree and i've studied you know counseling and psychotherapy and uh, hypnotherapy and i think you know this is another thing with the medicines what they do to you is uh, sometimes transform you into a healer so that's where i feel like i've been on this heroine's journey and i've got to the other end the end of it and now i'm sharing the gift so it's a really beautiful space to be in to be able to um, come back with something to share that, uh, that maybe give people, that will give people hope and um, let them know that uh, this, this transformation may be inevitable and something not to be afraid of, that it's a rite of passage that is thrilling. I mean, if you've ever read The Alchemist, you would know that. Yes. Um, it's thrilling to go on that journey. So as hard as it may be, I encourage you to do so.
0: Yeah, as life should be. Have a that,
1: life that's extraordinary. I
0: love that. I love that. Um, look, uh, yeah, thank you so much. I'll put some links um, for people to, to find you in in the um, in the show notes when I get this released. Um, it should come out in the next couple of days, um, which is which is really, really mm-hmm. exciting. But, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on the Grass Rich One podcast, uh, helping me relaunch this after 18 months. Um and mm-hmm. I can highly recommend your services. It's been, you know, you, you are now one of my um, mentors and coaches, especially in this space. Um, so it's been a, a great journey to connect with you. And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Gracias, hermano Absolutely beautiful speaking with you as always. I told you we'd have a great conversation.
0: <laughs> awesome, thanks, Sim. What a love for you, everybody. <laughs> See you on the other side.